What a beautiful story, right? Can you imagine traveling with Jesus and hearing him tell this story? Or just happening upon him when he's sharing this? I think we need to acknowledge a couple possible triggers when we hear this story first. Perhaps for women or those who struggle with the male-dominated stories in the Bible, there's no mention of women in the story, except perhaps talking about prostitutes, which clearly didn't reveal gender or sexuality, but was thought to be women. There's also possibly the trigger of a good and loving father, and not everyone has had one of those. So I just mentioned those for you all that um, if anything is stirred up today for you during Eucharist and after church, we'll have people who will pray and they'd be happy to uh, connect with you on any of that. One of the reasons it's really wise to set biblical stories in their time and place and culture is to help us remember that Jesus isn't telling this story today. This was a very specific story. It was told to a very specific people in a very specific and particular time. And many of us know this story. We've probably heard it in many sermons before. Certainly people refer to it when they're talking about wayward people or those that have maybe left the church. Those living in sin, which I always find hilarious because we all live in sin. The grace of God, though, there's forgiveness and reconciliation. The beauty of this story lies with Jesus giving us a reminder that there are always two ways we can lose sight of God's goodness and God's love. These are typically seen as opposite ends of the same spectrum. So for a culture that honored the patriarch as the most important figure of the household, one whose children were expected to serve alongside and under him. Typically, usually, when he passed away is when they would get their inheritance. So what we know about this story is when the younger son asks for what's coming to him while the father is still alive, it's beyond rude. It's totally disrespectful. And it's also interesting because it's out of the hierarchy that would have come. The eldest son would have received inheritance first, not the youngest. So this is absolutely probably the most disrespectful thing that this son could have done to his father. And really to his family and his community. It would have been seen as a disgrace. Then you add he traveled far away to a distant place. And what we hear is he ultimately ends up with the pigs. So if you consider for a moment Jewish culture, pigs are considered the most unclean animal, right? So it wasn't just that he was homeless and destitute, but he ends up in the most clean, unclean setting possible. Then, of course, we have the older brother, who also disrespects the father by not being willing to join the party. He's obviously holding some bitterness and resentment, and it's cloud his view of his father, his brother, 
obviously the party. And um, his ability to even see the good in his brother coming home. The father also explains himself, which again, wasn't necessary. <laughs> his role in the family meant he didn't have to explain anything, certainly not why he chose to throw a party. So we'll look a little deeper, of course, at the father who is clearly the main character of the story. It's also important, though, um, obviously, to acknowledge both, both brothers uh, made some pretty significant errors. In spiritual formation writing, a lot of times the things that motivate us and lead us to make those decisions are talked about as the shadow side of us. Certainly there's the light side of us where we make good choices and pursue the things that God has for us. I think in the story often we disregard the light side of both brothers. Right? The younger brother clearly had an appetite for adventure, for fun, for joy, for living pretty wildly. For those that uh, follow or study the Enneagram, perhaps this younger brother was a seven. The elder brother, of course, had the gifts of service and consistency and dependability, perhaps an Enneagram one or a six. It's really important that we see these two brothers as human. In Jesus's work on earth, he always shared stories about real human examples. These are often called parables, right? And they really are more than moral lessons. Our rector, Reverend Jordan, likes to say, parables were Jesus' way of explaining to us what the kingdom of God looks like now, in our daily lives, in our real lives, in our humanity. And God is not afraid of our humanity, both our shadow and our light. In order for us to cultivate a life of love that reflects the kingdom of God, we must acknowledge both. And we must allow God's healing work to work in our shadows, of course, right? And enhance our light. These brothers in our story are no different. They have both shadow and light. They also represent these two extremes of personalities, right? The desire to be rebellious, do whatever we want, no matter who or what it costs or how it hurts. Then there's also the beautiful desire to serve God and others. And yet, sometimes we can even lose sight of what the point of that is and become bitter, resentful at either the work or the one who calls us into the work. So we get to look closer at the father's response to both of them, set in the context of their humanity, right? So first, he could have told the younger son no when he was asked for his inheritance. He could have used it as a teaching moment to remind him of their customs, their cultures, all the things that he was essentially disregarding. Instead, he doesn't. Now, some might think of this as unthinkable or even unlovable. 
but the story is intended, at least in part, to remind us of God's great love. And perhaps in a way we don't always think of God's love. This love is given outside of culture, customs, and what's expected. This love is given to you and I today and every day. God's love and his gifts are not because we earn them. And they're certainly not because we do the right thing, though certainly that's always leads to good, right? And there's cause and effect for our choices. There's consequences for the things that we do. But God gives us 100% choice in everything. And that is no matter how much it could lead to our own destruction or the destruction of others, as well as flourishing for us and our community and others. This is what we see the father in our story do for both sons. He gives love and gifts freely, just as God does for us. Now, part of the character of the father is actually known by this younger wayward son, but not all of it. So in his darkest moment, most unclean, most inappropriate moments, he remembers his father's character and he knows that even his father's hands, hired hands, which is lower status than a slave, you think of the atrocities of slavery, this is a lower status, that even they are treated better than the way he's living, essentially homeless, hungry, and at the end of his rope. So he heads home thinking, at least I can be a day laborer, at least I know my father's character will take me in on that level. But he doesn't realize that his father has way, way, way more for him. So we read in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Some of the commentaries I read about this, spoke about how inappropriate it would have been for this man to run down the street to his son. But even that he was willing to do. So I ask you, have you ever felt at the end of yourself or your circumstances? Have you ever felt so low and had someone make it worse? I know I have. I've also had moments like this story where I've had people come alongside and make it much better. When I was in high school, I made a series of mistakes. I'm sure you can relate to some of your high school seasons. I felt super, super humiliated and ashamed by my choices. I confessed what I had done to one friend, and instead of supporting me, they looked at me and essentially told me I was a horrible person for what I had confessed. It was like pouring lemon juice in a wound. So 
I gathered myself up and I drove to another friend's house and I was embarrassed and ashamed and pretty convinced this other friend might do the same, but it was all I could do. I went and I shared with her what had happened, what I had done, what I had said, and what this other friend had said. And silently, she didn't say a word, she just got up and she went into her kitchen and she got a pitcher of water, a bowl, and a towel. And she came back to me in her living room and she sat in front of me silently. She took off my shoes and she washed my feet and she dried them. And I knew the embrace and love of this father that we hear about in the story. It wasn't about what I had done. It was about how much this friend loved me, even still. And certainly I repented, and certainly I changed my ways. Our story doesn't end with the younger brother, right? There's an older brother, and there's the father's reaction to him as well. So he says in verse 31 and 32, son, you were always with me, and all that is your all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Again, we have to look at culture, time, customs. His father was hosting a party. He certainly did not need to leave it. He had plenty of hired people he could send out to send a message to his son. But he didn't do that. He got up and he went out. And he met him face to face and he looked him in the eye. And he tried to explain himself, which he didn't have to do. And then the brother responds with these harsh words. And what does the father do? He listens. He doesn't cut him off. He didn't shame him. He simply reminds his son of the truth of the situation. And then the story ends, the parable ends. We don't know if the older brother gave in and accepted the love and the gifts the father was offering. I'm sure we all like to hope, certainly. But again, that is not the ultimate point of this story. Yes, we've titled it The Two Brothers, but the truth of this story is the father. He's our main character. So out of the same book that Sally read from, Henry Nouwen writes, this is not a story that separates two brothers into the good and the evil one. The father loves both sons. He runs out to meet them both. He wants both to sit at his table and participate in his joy. The Father's love does not force itself on the beloved. God's love does not depend on our repentance and our inner or outer changes. And the Father's not afraid to speak the truth. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, writes about unity among those who follow Jesus. In chapter 4, he is encouraging the Ephesian church about their differences and their different gifts. He reminds them that God made us individuals, and yet we get to work together to share those gifts for the love 
and unity and sake of the world. Paul writes, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craft, craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speak the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what the father does in our story. He doesn't try to convince the older son. He doesn't try to manipulate his feelings. Rather, he states the facts about love and this way of life. He invites the older brother into, into it by saying, we had to celebrate. We was not just about the father or even the younger brother. It was about his joy and also their family and their community. Anytime, any, any, any time one of us is restored to the wellness of God's family, we all have reason to rejoice. Now remember, this story is also set in context of Jesus responding to the grumblings of religious people. We didn't read it today, but earlier in this chapter, in chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, it reads, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Again, cultural taboo. This story is meant to give us a glimpse into God's kingdom come here and now. It is intended to make us think about how it directly applies to our lives, to give us vision to see God and how God sees us and those around us. Have you ever been reminded of a truth that was hard to hear? but it was the actual reality of the situation you were in. Or perhaps has resentment or bitterness clouded the way you see other people, or God, or yourself? Maybe you can relate to one of the brothers more than the other. I know I've had seasons of thinking I was more like one than the other. Can you see the light and the shadow sides of both? Can you consider that what God invites us into is an integration of both parts, a wholeness? It is not meant to vilify one brother or the other, rather to embrace both and let the great love and kindness of the Father be that grace daily that we need. And then to see how he showers them with his love and affection and good gifts. This is meant for us, for our daily life, for every day that we wake up. So I pray today that you might know a little more 
of the deep and true love of God. That it might saturate your heart, your mind, your bodies. And that in turn, you might be able to extend it to others. So Holy Trinity family, I speak these words to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.